We're going to be looking at a number of passages, but uh, that is our main passage this morning. We will be looking at a view that God has about the greatest and the least. I will tell you right up front, this is not a manipulation or a guilt trip sermon. This is simply information that Christ has given us. And all we care is that when God convicts in your life, you do what he asks you to do. You're obedient instead of being rebellious. That's all. We're not just going to talk about compassion. We're going to talk about children. They ask Christ, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus made it very clear to them, they asked the wrong question. They had the wrong attitude. Their mind, their heart, their sights, their desires, their ambitions were all in the wrong direction. And I know that because of what happens two chapters later. They had a wrong attitude. But I've entitled this the greatest and the least for a reason. Because they wanted to know who is the greatest. Who has the power, the prestige, and the position? Is it me? Uh, God, what are you going to give me? Uh, What kind of thing is going to give me my star in life? Where's my place? Why is everyone going to look up to me and look out and envy me? That was their idea. And he said, no, no. And we'll look at this a minute. He says, no, the greatest is going to be a servant. And the one who is the least is going to be a slave. I mean, the, the first is going to be a slave. But the greatest one, according to this passage is someone that's like a child. We're going to look at what that means. But he also says and makes very clear that when you do this to the least of them, you do it unto me. So you want to know how, according to this passage, and it's not the only thing in the Bible about this, and it's not the only thing that's said in the Bible, but he said, if you do something to the person that cannot help themselves... They are there for no fault of their own. And we're talking basically about children today. You see, if adults are doing what Will was singing about, their wars and genocide and all those horrible things, they're adults. They've made the choices to fight with each other, to ruin lives. But the children haven't made those choices. They are truly victims of what the adults have done. They're the least of them. And he says, when you do it to them, For them, you've done it unto me. So what I'd like to do is think about all the images you've seen so far. Take all the faces off of those children. And put the face of Christ. Because that's exactly what this passage says. It's exactly what it says. When you've done it to them, you've done it to me. So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I already told you that uh, I know their attitude. But first of all, I want to make something clear. A little theology. The kingdom of heaven is not the same as the kingdom of God. They are two concepts. The kingdom of heaven does include the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of heaven is a much bigger situation. It's a much bigger circumstance. Here's what it, how, how it goes. The only way you can be a part of the kingdom of God is to have salvation in Jesus Christ to be born again. If you don't believe that, go to John chapter 3 and you will find out that he said, unless you're born again, you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. You are born into that kingdom. 
But the kingdom of heaven is different than that. It literally is the heavens rule over the earth. It's everything that God does on this earth. And the kingdom of God is part of that. Many other things are a part of that. Secular society, things future, things in the past have all been a part of the kingdoms, the, uh, the, the, the heavens rule over the earth. They've all been a part of that. This is one part. So he's talking about the big picture. Are you going to allow God to rule in your life and to be over your life? Not simply in salvation, but in everything that you do. That's what he wants us to see today. In Matthew chapter 20, I've already been telling you about that. The disciples, two of them, John and, uh, James and John, brought their mother with. Now, I've got to tell you, uh, she was a feisty one. She came right up to Jesus with her sons, one on both one side and one on the other, and said, By the way, command that my son sit on your right and left in your kingdom. <laughs> Whoa! i tell you what. Can you imagine the other ten? And I already know, they were indignant. They were like, who in the world do you think you are? And why are you doing this? Because there was a problem here. Hey, my boys are better. You know, they ought to be in the right and the left. He said, that's not up to me. And he said, by the way, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can, can you go through what, I, what I'm going to go through? And that, of course, oh yeah, we can. Of course, they couldn't. But, he, again, told them the same thing that I've said earlier. He made it clear to them that they're asking the wrong question. He says the Gentiles, their leaders, they rule over them. And their great men exercise authority over people. But he said, not you. Not you. Here's what he said. It's not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Ooh, that kind of turns things on its head. And whoever wishes to be first among you, <clears throat> excuse me, shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He said, you do not look at things the way the world looks at them. You are to look at it as completely different. You can go a completely different direction, and your example is only one, and it's the perfect example, and that is Jesus Christ, who didn't come to be served. He had the right to be worshipped and served to the full degree. He had a right to demand everything of us, but that is not what he did. He came and gave his life for us. Wow. Way different circumstance. Way different way of seeing things. But in the case in Matthew chapter 9, 18, if you will pick it up at verse 2, he calls a child to himself and he set him before them and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heavens. You won't understand what the rule of heaven over earth is like unless you become like a child. Now, notice it doesn't say childish. We're going to spend a few moments on the difference between childlike and childish. Childish is something different. But childlike, and think for yourself, and you can start thinking this way, what does it mean to be childlike? What is a child like? The word converted here is not repent. Repent means to change your mind. Convert means to change your direction. 
He said, you need to change your direction. You're asking the wrong questions. He said, you need to think very differently than what you've been thinking. He goes on to say, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'd like to put one more word there. Humble. We normally have some pretty poor definitions of humble. We think of a humble person, they walk around there like, woe is me, I'm no good, I have nothing to offer, poor me. And, and it looks like you could scrape them off the ground. That's not a humble person at all. The biblical illustration is Moses. It says he was a very humble person. Humble? He was leading millions of people. He was standing toe-to-toe and nose-to-nose and eyeball-to-eyeball with Pharaoh and not backing down. Humble? At the same time, I always say him and Aaron had dirty faces because they were always falling down on their faces on behalf of the people who were rebellious and stubborn and disobedient and praying out and crying out to God. You see, here's what a humble person really is. A humble person is someone who knows exactly who they are and who they're not. They know their place. They know what they're capable of doing and what they're not capable of doing. That's a humble person. They know their place. They know exactly what's going on. They really do know who they are. And so they don't try to be somebody they're not. But they also put into practice everything they know that God has given them. And they put it into practice. That's truly a humble person. It's a person who is a steward. Someone who is self-controlled. That's a real humble person. And he said, disciples, you need to know who you are. You need to know what's going on in your life. And you need to carry it out. But as I promised you, we're going to look at, spend a few moments. What is a child? Think in your mind. I don't know. Maybe you've been thinking for a few minutes. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of a child? I know what comes to my mind. They're trusting. They will do whatever you ask them to do. You tell them to do something dangerous, they don't go, oh, mom's telling me to do something dangerous, I'm going to hurt myself and kill myself and be in maimed for the rest of my life. They go, no, I'll go do it. You see, they are not only trusting, but they're willing to look to, for guidance. They look up to you. I've got an illustration that really got my attention this week. But they're willing to follow. They're willing to allow someone else to lead. It's why it's so important when it comes to us as adults and our relationship with children. Because indeed, while there may be a time when they get to be teenagers where they rebel against everything, there is a time when they look up to you and dad is the biggest and strongest and mom is the prettiest and the the best. And I mean, you just name it. That's the way they are. That's the way they are at Sunday school. You check with your kids. Find out who they really look up to. They look up to their teachers, their Sunday school teachers. They look up to those people. And I'm telling you, they really do look up to those who are authority figures. That's what a child does. They're very trusting. They're willing to follow. They are dependent on someone else. And they're simple. I don't mean simple-minded like they don't have brains. But they're simple. They see things just the way they are. They don't make it complicated like we do. We try to make it complicated. They see it very simply, straightforwardly. They kind of live in the presence. 
And I will tell you, to tail off all that, they're really looking for someone to follow. Now, we're going to talk, I've already told you this is not a guilt message. This is a message about a ministry. And that ministry is to the least of these children. I've noticed in the past uh, six months to a year, almost everything we touch by way of missions lands up having something to do with children. We sent a whole group of people to Guatemala to an orphanage to help children. The Yearwoods were here. We heard several times that the village chiefs, the Muslim leaders, have sent their boys to Ron Yearwood so he could train them as his own sons. And by the way, he has more authority than their fathers do. I talked to him personally. He is their papa. Their fathers can say something, and Ron has to approve it before it's okay. They have given their children over to Ron to raise. Actually, it's the local church that's doing that. Wow, what a ministry to children. It's not cheap. It's not not easy. We've just been looking at other things. Compassion. Some of you support orphans with Christopher Boda in India. And you know what? We have a ministry that we usually think of as something outside. Missions is outside the church door. I agree with that. But there's one mission, one mission that takes place in these doors. And that's our children. And I will tell you uh, that if you have been convicted or you are thinking, you know what, maybe I should do something with children, the least of these, we need Sunday school teachers. Seriously, junior church teachers. Now, not just everybody. You have to have trusted Christ, and you have to have a testimony. And if, and if you say, I have no experience, but I'd like to work, we will, and we absolutely do it this way, we will put you with someone else who can teach you how to teach. We will do whatever it takes to train you in that direction. But that's ministry to children, and we need to make sure that we do not neglect them. You know why? Because they were looking for someone to look up to. And I happen to know that compassion just doesn't fill stomachs, and they don't just send money so somebody can spend it somehow for their education. They actually work through local churches, and these local churches are responsible for making sure the money is used correctly, and so they are trained in spiritual ways. We have people in this congregation who are foster parents, who are adopting children who had very bleak future. Chrissy and Kyle are house parents of Milton Hershey with young people. Found it pretty tough. You see, we are not to neglect those that are looking for someone to look up to and to look to. And you might say, I'm a grandparent, I'm a great-grandparent, and I just don't have the energy to do that anymore. I'll tell you what, you've got great-grandchildren, and you've got grandchildren. You better have a relationship with them, because they, too, need your time and your energy. You see, children are looking up, looking for someone they can trust, someone they can follow, someone who will be an example to them. Oh, by the way, I told you I would tell you what childish is. We all know this one. That's that little brat you know of, Remember? They're selfishly immature, but that's a sin nature. Because guess what? Those little selfishly immature kids grew up to be selfish, immature adults. Okay? They cause a lot of these problems. 
they can be irresponsible. They can have a disobedient, bad attitude. I understand all of that. That's children. You deal with it. Part of the package deal that you get. The job is we need to make sure that they can look up to you. And I don't care who you are. You might just be their neighbor. But they need to be able to look up to you. So where do you fit in this? That's where humble comes in. You do what you can do, but you don't try to do what you can't do. I got convicted. I told you I was going to give you a story. I, I believe I have a good ending to this story. But a few weeks ago, most of you know I do garden tractor pulling, so all my illustrations come from that. Not all of them, but a few of them do. Tractor pull buddy brought another buddy who has a son. The son has not gotten any spiritual input in his life. He's uh, shuttled back and forth between mom and dad. And um, he's a good kid. He's a nice kid. I've never met him before. His name is Jacob. I'm at the E-Town Fair, and I'm running around trying to do my thing. Next thing I know, I'm standing, and I'm not exaggerating anything I'm telling you this morning. I'm standing and trying to work on my tractor, and he's standing right here. And he's going like this to me. I turn around, and I want to back up. He's standing there, and I almost tripped over him. And, and he kept doing that. And you understand, I'm getting a little, well, let's just say I was getting a little annoyed. Okay? A little frustrated, because every time I turned around, I had to watch, because I was going to trip over him. Finally, and no kids were harmed in this story, by the way. I just want to let you know. I turned around, and I've done this to my own kids, and this didn't hurt anybody. I just went like this to his ears, and he grabbed a hold of my wrist. And I picked him up right like this, and I said, boy, you are annoying. And I put him back down. Now, you would have thought he would have run away. He didn't. I think he liked that. You know why? I gave him attention. And then I started I'm like, man, this kid is just really annoying. And I, 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 I've had a wrong attitude. It wasn't bad, bad, but it was not right. Next thing I know, I'm turning around. Right there he is, standing right in front of me. So finally I realized, this guy is looking for someone to look up to. Because he kept going like this. He'd just be sitting there looking at me. And, and I realized, he's looking for someone to look up. And understand, he's eight years old. I got shiny red tractors. Any six, eight-year-old boy... He's your buddy. you got a tractor. You know, that's just the way boys are. And I realized he would do anything I asked him to do. He was like a puppy, and, and this is what happened. He's like a puppy where you throw the stick a hundred times, the puppy goes and runs, and it's worthless. Well, the next thing I realized is I walk away, and he's following right after me. And I'm like, finally it hit me. He's looking for attention. He's looking up to me. What am I going to do with it? Now, I'm, I still haven't got my story right yet. So I said, you know what? I need a strap off of my truck. Could you go get it? Man, he runs across the field, grabs it, and 30 seconds later, he's back with the strap. I mean, no adult would have been there. You know, and, and I realized he was looking for someone, to, something to do, something that he could be a part of, feel worthwhile. And that went on for a while, and then he left. So I've, I've told that story to a few people, and... It wouldn't be a very good story if it ended there. So now, I'm studying this. And I'm going, you know what? My attitude still wasn't right. And in the middle of studying on, I don't know if it's Thursday or Friday, in the middle of studying, I'm like, you know what? I can't preach this sermon. I got on the, cell, I got on the phone, and I called his dad, and I said, Dad, 
Is Jacob, I knew his dad was going to be the tractor pull. Is your son Jacob coming to the tractor pull? I want him to pull one of my tractors. He goes, you know, he kept, he said, and this is his words, he says, he really looks up to you. In fact, as we were at another tractor pull, his dad came up and said, hey, Jacob's here and he's looking for you. You know, I, I hadn't discouraged him at all. And I said, and he, and so I said, I want him to pull one of my tractors. He goes, you know, he keeps asking if he can pull one of your tractors. And I told him he has to ask you. I said, well, he doesn't have to ask me anymore. I'm asking him. Because you know what? One of the things that God convicted me of uh, probably eight years ago when I first started is that I had to have a ministry attached to this because that would make it worthwhile. And I had the privilege of working with several young boys in that direction and having spiritual input into their lives. And so I'm like, okay, God, you put this annoying little kid right in front of me. I, I got to stumble over him. I, and I'm sitting there at my desk realizing how brain dead I am and how I can't preach this without doing something positive about that. He wasn't able to come yesterday to the poll, but he will be, I believe, at our next one here at the church. And I'm going to make sure that that kid is my buddy for the rest of my life because you know what? It's not about the tractor pull. That's the method. It's about the least of these. A kid that needs guidance. A kid that wants some significance in life and somebody they can look up to. And I sure would hope that if he looks up to me, I will be a good example to him. And give him more than maybe most people would give. That's what God wants. So if it's a Sunday school teacher, if it's the junior church, if it's sponsoring an orphan, if it's sponsoring Compassion International, whatever it is, all I ask today and all the Brocks are asking today is you consider what God would have you do concerning the least of these. That's what he wants. And it'll be different for every one of you. But he wants us to consider that. That's my point this morning. But I need to move on. Because, as I said in the beginning, verse 5 says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Notice, he doesn't say receive spiritual blessings. He says, receives me. Put your face on that annoying little kid. Put Christ's face there. That's what he wants you to do. In Matthew chapter 25, he goes on, and the righteous have been separated from the unrighteous in this uh, account. And he goes to the righteous and said, Hey, you have, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. And they go, Lord, when do we see any of these things about you? And he said, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then there were the unrighteous. And he said, you didn't do these things, the things I just read. You didn't do them. And they said, we never saw that. We, we never saw you in any of those circumstances. And you know what his answer to them is? Exactly the same thing. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it, to the least of these, you did not do it to me. Wow. I don't know how much more blunt you can get than that. Can anybody miss what he's saying? 
Because that's what he's saying. Those that cannot help themselves, children in particular, when you do it for them, you do it to them, for their sake, for their good, for their life, that's the same as serving Christ. Wow. Many times, I say when you serve the Lord, you are definitely going to be serving other people. This passage, without a doubt, says that. And then he goes on to say one more thing, and I'm way behind in my slides here. But uh, uh, he said, hang on a second, I'm not. I got my slides messed up two weeks in a row, and that's bad. He said, I don't want you to despise any one of these little ones. How do you despise despise a child? The word despise comes out to mean think little of, really not care about. How do we do that? How do we offend the least of these? I'll give you a list. First of all, you neglect. You simply do nothing. That's what neglect is, right? Really going and destroying something or, or going the opposite direction. You just do nothing. Just let it go. Don't care. You'd be a wrong example. You lead them by your, your life in the wrong direction. You don't care about them. Not seeing them as important. Well, we have more important things to do. We deal with adults. We deal with the high and mighty, and we can change them. Oh, there's a, there's a place for all of that. Don't get me wrong. They need the gospel. They need Christ. They need an example also. That's not our sermon this morning. Our sermon this morning is the least of them need to be seen as important. Ridiculing their faith, not acting on their behalf, and not going out of your way to make sure that they hear biblical truth. Many ways to do that. Many avenues. Many methods. But the bottom line comes down to this. We are not to despise these little ones. Why? He says, For I say to you, their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. <laughs> Literally. This is what it says. God sends angels... He is overseeing them, and he says, okay, what did you do, Paul Malfair? An angel goes back and says, Father, Paul's neglecting. Yeah. Not only can you see their face, but he's got his secret agents there checking out, seeing what we do. That's what it says. I'm not making it up. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost. And he ends this passage In verse 14, by saying, Thus, it is not the will of our Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Wow. God's will is that these little ones should not perish. Wow. What a great opportunity we have of putting before us, being reminded of the responsibility that we have as adults. But there's another passage, just in case you say, well, that was Jesus and he was able to do that because he's so much greater than we are. Let's go to the Proverbs of the New Testament, James chapter 1. Because James is rubber meets the road. It's not a lot of fancy doctrine that you have a hard time understanding. It's a lot of put it into practice, guys. Put it into practice, carry it out, do what you know. 
James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. We go, yep, that's right. You say you're a Christian, you say you're following Christ, and your mouth sounds like a cesspool. Uh, Something's wrong. Kind of smells like the garbage can. Something's wrong. Okay, we agree with that. But now look at the context. This is pure and undefiled religion. So now we go to the positive side. In the sight of our God and Father. To visit orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word visit doesn't mean I need to go to India to visit an orphan. Or South America. That's not what the word visit. It can be used that way, of course. But what it means at its root is to be concerned about. I'm doing something about it. I'm doing what I can do. Remember, a humble person knows what they can do and what they can't do. So God will never ask you to do something you're not capable of doing. But he expects you to act in such a way in accord with what you are capable of doing. That's all he asks of you. He's absolutely fair. He never expects what you can't do. With his help, of course. But he says, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that orphans are your concern. Those that cannot help themselves. That they are your concern. In Matthew, it says that if any of us causes one of these little ones to stumble. And I'm in verse 7. He says, I'm sorry, I'm in verse 6. That's why I'm goofed up. But I say to you, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, if I can find it, I have a picture of a millstone. Millstone is, this is one that, uh, oops, wrong button. These, These are millstones here. They're really small. A housewife could take one in her house or right outside of her house, and she could take it like this and grind uh, grain into flour. Might weigh 20, 30 pounds. Now, i got to tell you, I can swim. I'm not a good swimmer, but I can swim. You put one of those around my neck, I'm going down. But I'll, I'll struggle for a while. That's not what he says here. The one that he is talking about is one that the word heavy actually means that that has to do with the donkey millstone. It is a millstone that weighs two or three hundred pounds that an individual human being could not operate on their own. You would have to put a donkey there and he would go around and that would grind the grain. I got to tell you, I don't care who you are and how strong a swimmer you are. You get one of those around your neck, you're going down. The mafia doesn't do better than this. You're going to go down. He says, if you're despising someone who cannot help themselves and you can help them, he said, it's better for you. Your religion's worthless. It's better for you that you tie a millstone around your neck, jump in the sea, and it's going to take you down. That's what he says. I got to tell you, I would not be making this up because this is pretty hard stuff. Anybody disagree with that? I mean, this, this, is, this is really hard. Because he's saying, you got no excuse. Wow. 
That's what he says. I'm not making it up. Read it for yourself. I do have a responsibility. Let me just kind of wrap it up with this. There is real and legitimate ministry to children. One of the main reasons is they're not cemented. They're not like you and I. We're, we're kind of set in our ways. Most people that become believers become believers when they're children. That's why I'm going to say one more time. Teaching our children is huge. It's as important as any other ministry or mission we have. It's as important as any other place we give to because children are important. The least of these need to be dealt with. They need to be ministered unto in every way, whether it's giving, whether it's teaching. We need to make those things that God says are important our priority. Giving the Word of God out. It's not just curing poverty. That's a social gospel. That's not what we're about. You remember Jesus, when He gave loaves and fishes to a whole multitude of people, way more than 5,000. He didn't do it just simply because they had an empty belly. He did it because they were there to hear the Word of God. And he made it possible for them to continue on in that direction. You see, the two are together. The priority needs to be there. We need to make sure that we do everything in a proper balance. And these things are not a flash in the pan. Many of you that have raised children already are in the midst of it. You know that they're not born a few weeks ago, Lauren, and all of a sudden it's over and now you can move on. Uh Uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. It's a long-range goal. And that's always the way it is with children's ministries. It's not just a flash in the pan. It's not just, oh, they got saved, now they're okay. No, they need to be taught. They need to have example. They need to have their needs met. And as we go through all of these things, we see how important it is that we have a long-range view, that we do not despise them, that we make sure that we minister to the least of them. Because when we minister to the least of them, we minister. We've done it the same as if it would have been Christ. That's our challenge today. The Brocks are going to come up and give you a few words of instruction about what to do afterwards if you're interested in being a part of of, uh, Compassion International.